And I don't know how many I'm speaking for, but I'm in the middle of that. I'm in the process of life change right now, and it's awesome. So Luke chapter 18, while you're turning, you see 2009 up there. That, that stands for year number 17. Uh, we started the church in 1992, so we've been journeying from time to time through our year, uh, and we celebrated our anniversary on uh, June, the, the, fir- the actual Sunday of when the church started, 25 years in. And on that day, we honored Cliff Kaufman, if you were here. And that was just three short months ago. And so what a blessing it was to be able to share with so many of our church members the life uh, of Cliff while he was here and while he was able to enjoy it himself. Uh, but uh, he's not worried about that anymore. He's given honor and glory to the one for whom it is due. Amen. And that's the Lord Jesus. But we did that. And that was just a few weeks ago. But we're in 2009. So a few memories of 2009. We uh, championed Baptist College, which is now becoming or has become champion Christian College. As we journey our way through accreditation in three weeks, I'm flying to Orlando, Florida to stand before the uh, accreditation commission to receive our candidacy status, which is like two thumbs up, like amazing, like incredible, like miraculous, like anyway, you get the picture? Okay. So we've come a long way since these early days. And then uh, there's some of the graduates. I want you to see two graduates. Look at David McLean. David, look at you. You look like a little boy there. And now you're a grown man. I love you, buddy. Uh, Anyway, you look good. You have less hair now. But who's speaking? Anyway, and, uh, and then Mike Bowie. Mike is going to be with us. He's a graduate of Champion who went to Hawaii, started a church from scratch with nothing, and now is running 150 plus. And he's going to be with us for our missions conference. So a couple of great graduates from that year. And then uh, this is the, the, one, the junior high or like the peewee basketball team. That was back when Nick Cantrell was skinny. I got you, Nick. But see, you can pick on Nick, right? I mean, Nick's just... I, in fact, Nick, if you lost weight, I wouldn't know what to do because I... Just hugging you is an amazing thing. I love it. See, some of you are offended right now, but Nick's, Nick's he's okay. He's all right. And then there's uh, Zoe there at the bottom, and you can see uh, Isaiah and Ethan, and I think Daniel's there. It's incredible. Those are some great pictures. And then uh, that's our graduating class of 2008, 2009. So there's Mo. That was the year he graduated. And then uh, you got Carl there, uh, and, of course, Cliff. Was, was Carl's poopaw, and you've got uh, Caleb there, and a lot of other great young people. Uh, Lauren's getting married here in just a few weeks. It's, it's awesome. All right, and then there's Ken Walkendorf. Ken, are you here this morning? Did you, there you are, brother. I had to get, that's the year you joined the church. Ken spent a few years with us and then had a class that he has enjoyed for years. Really good Bible teaching, but he's back with us on Sundays now, and I'm loving every minute of it. So I wanted to tell, I'm glad Ken's back. I like it when people come back, don't you? And, uh, but I wanted, and then there's Jeff, Jeff, are you here? I wanted to show you before you got married. That's the Jeff back. No, is Jeff here? No, he's not here. Okay. He's usually right back there. Okay. So I'm pointing back there. Somebody vouch for me. Yeah. He's usually back there. All right. I think, I don't know where he is, but anyway, I can make fun of him now because he's not here. All right. But Jeff came to us as a freshman at champion, graduated, met Courtney, and now they're a very vital couple in our church. Again, champion. Christian College, bringing people together, and then they serve here in our ministry. Just good stuff. That's just good stuff. And then there is our family in 2009. So, God is good. Open your Bibles to Luke 18. Let's just jump right in, because this is an amazing, 
incredible passage of Scripture for which uh, I, I would have to say it's one of my favorite parables. Uh, and I want to read this to you, and I want you to pay close attention. It's going to be, of course, I use the, the, uh, the King James in the pulpit here when I read, but it's going to be King James Capace today, all right? I'm going to ad lib just a little bit. Allow me to, uh, to just add some feeling and some emotion to the, to, the, to the story because it is so phenomenal. All right, so just enjoy this. And, and he spake, Jesus spake a parable unto them, and, and here's how he did it. Here's why he did it to this end. That men ought always to pray and not to faint or, or not to lose heart. Today we would consider fainting, maybe falling down, and she fainted, he fainted. But here, Scripture speaking about losing heart, giving up, saying, There was in a city a judge, and this was not a good judge, because he didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, unto that judge, and she said, Judge, Avenge me of mine adversary, of mine enemy. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, I don't fear God, and I don't respect man, and I don't really like this woman. She's getting on my nerves. Yet, because she, she troubles me, she keeps coming, she keeps asking, she won't leave me alone, I will give her justice. I will avenge her lest she keeps coming back and getting on my nerves. And the Lord said, listen to what this judge said. Did you just hear what he said? Listen, hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, his, his children, which cry day and night unto him, though, though he may wait a while, though he bear long with them, I tell you, he will avenge them, sometimes even speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, let me give you a few thoughts here. Let's just jump right in. Number one, let's get right into this amazing story. First of all, and write this down, failure to persist results in losing heart. Failure to persist results in losing heart. Now, I have some favorite parables. I mentioned this is one of my favorites of all time. Does anybody, has anybody got courage enough to say, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite preacher. Anybody got a fave, a fave parable? Looking across this vast auditorium, do I have a hand of a fave parable? Anybody? Shut one out. Prodigal son, thank you. Finally, somebody who reads their Bible. Just kidding. And uh, Okay, just kidding. All right, parable. Prodigal son. Now, that's a great parable. It's amazing how often Jesus used parables as his preferred method of teaching. I, I love the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's just an amazing story. I understand Mo. Spoke about that a little bit in a sermon a few weeks ago. The parable of the four soils. You talk about a deep parable. One that you've got to really study. 
And I'm glad he sat down with the disciples after he told that story and explained it because it's difficult to understand without Jesus' further explanation. And then the parable of the talents. I love that one. The talents, the, the, the man who had the five talents and then the one that had the two talents and the one that bared his talent. It's an amazing story about stewarding your life well. And then I think everybody enjoys the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep and then, of course, the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son. Parables are the only fiction in the entire Bible. Isn't that interesting? And an imagined story, it's imagined by Jesus. And it's imagined by him to communicate a literal, relevant, practical truth. Meaning that even though he told these stories 2,000 years ago, today, preachers like me are still using these stories in order to share God's truth through the window of an illustration. Jesus was not trying to puff up people's intellect when he told these stories. It's obvious. He wasn't trying to give a lot of information. In fact, Jesus was simply trying to teach something with using an illustration that, was, that, was, that they could understand or that they could try to understand. But oftentimes we find that people who don't know Christ, they're blinded to these truths. And, and so we need to sometimes take time as believers to get to know God's word even more so that we can explain it right. And so Jesus told stories to communicate truth for real life application. And so we find in verse number one, he told this parable and then he says, here's why I'm telling it to you. Now, not every parable gives this much information. But in this story, we find out before he tells the story, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you this story for this. So look at it. And he speaks this parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I'm going to tell you this story because all too often you guys start praying and then you quit. I want you to quit. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Anybody in here weary? Anybody in here heavy hearted? Anybody in here fainting? Anybody in here discouraged? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. See, that's the song. And and the whole purpose of the song is that there are those of us who oftentimes start to pray and then we quit. We give up. We're not consistent. Thus, we have begun this campaign to say, have you ever prayed 40 days? And you may be sitting here today and said, oh, I was afraid you'd show me that stupid card. I liked it the first Sunday, but I don't like it much anymore. It's got too many empty boxes. Well, I told you it was hard. Don't worry. I... You don't have to feel bad. This is one of the toughest things you'll ever do. To pray 40 consecutive days for one thing without stopping. I don't know that I've ever done it. I've I've prayed 40 days. I've prayed 40 days for different things. But but one thing intensely, with intensity, with fervency, I don't know until now. My wife and I are enjoying this and we're talking about, as we go through this process about what God's doing. And I'm going to share with you because you're, you're my church family. Could I, could I share like a little one of my breakthroughs? Any, anybody? Oh, good. She's for it. Thank you. And uh, out of the mouth of babes, does the church approve stories? Okay, here we go. So I've been praying for Glorianne. One of my breakthroughs for 11 years, we've had to change her sheets every morning. 
because she goes to the bathroom, you know, in her diapers. And she, so we don't know what it's like for 11 years. Uh, we, we had five babies, but, but we have a baby that we've not stopped changing diapers for in 11 years. Some of you know, may know what that's like. Obviously, not many of you would know that. But uh, you know how, how it feels when you have a baby and then they start going potty and you don't have to buy diapers? Can I get an amen? Okay, we're not there yet. But anyway, um, we're in our 11th year. I can't tell you how many hotels we've called and said, you know, we bring, we bring trash bags and, and put them under the sheets and, at the hotel so that it won't go through the, through the sheets. Aren't you proud of us? Amen. Especially if you sleep in that room next. Anyway. And we call and say, look, we're sorry. We've got to just say, oh, every one of them. Oh, we understand. We have someone. We have a child. I have an uncle that has a, it's beautiful. Somehow we connect with people through her. But, you know, we haven't been up. So I put on my, my one of my, I've got two 40-day breakthroughs. One of them is that Glorianne would advance in these areas. And I have four areas. Well, one of my areas is potty. Now, I know this sounds silly to you because you think, well, man, good night. Are you going to, that's like a big thing to you? Are you kidding me? So here's what's happened for the last seven days. She hasn't gone potty in the bed. For the last seven days. The last seven days. Here, here's what happens every morning. No joke. Here's how it's, mama, mama, 4.30 this morning. We don't care. 4.30 is good. Usually it's about 5.30 or 6. But 4.30 this morning, mama, yes, potty, go potty right now. And she gets up and she goes to the bathroom and she goes, but we love the sound. Oh, the sound. Oh, I'm laying in bed. I'm like, I love that, Jesus. Thank you for that sound. Oh, man. And, and, and then she gets up and she goes, sometimes she'll go back to bed. Sometimes she doesn't. But we, honestly, it is a breakthrough. It is a breakthrough. Now we're praying that God would help us with the other. We won't go into detail on the other because it gets a little grosser. But anyway, we're still changing those diapers. But God is working. Here's what I'm saying. This is something I've never prayed for. I've never said for 40 straight days, oh God, help my daughter to, to go to the, you can do this, God. You're in control of her little mind. I don't care if you ever heal her completely. That's not what I'm asking, but would you please, God? And he's doing it because of prayer, persistent prayer that, that God is speaking of here in the scriptures. And so that's what this, why this parable is here. God put a story in the Bible about persistent prayer so so here's a whole lesson on this one area of concern because so many believers in church today are weighed down by worry they're weighed down by anxiety they're weighed down by discouragement the very thing that persistent prayer removes worry the very thing that persistent prayer displaces anxiety the very thing that that praying will relieve you of discouragement and yet, if the truth be known, how many of us have maybe had a drug prescribed or even started drinking a glass of wine at night just to cope? Maybe persistent prayer would have taken care of that problem, but we've decided to try something less just to get through. I prayed, I tried that. This, this, this pill gets it done now. Or this beverage how many here are nursing a wound from the past? Some bitterness. Something that's plaguing you that, that, that persistence in prayer would take care of. If you just kept on praying, God would take care of it. And I'll show you in just a minute why he will do that. 
Now make a note of this on the screen. Here it is. Look at this. People who persist in prayer do not lose heart. And people who lose heart do not persist in prayer. Now, now that's what the whole parable is about. The first one introduces this and it says that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart, not to faint. So here's what I want to do, church. And I don't do this. I don't think I've done this in a year, but let's do, do this just, just because this is so important. Let's say this together just once so we can hear ourselves say what Jesus is teaching. Here it is. Ready? One, two, three. People who persist in prayer do not lose heart and people who lose heart do not persist in prayer. So that's what we're going to learn this morning for the next few moments together. And so I want you to pay close attention because I'm going to tell you a couple of stories from a man by the name of George Mueller. Now, George Mueller was an old, oh, you know, he was an older man when he passed away in the late 1800s. That's the picture I took of him because I wanted to just see he's not some fancy dude. This is a guy that if you read about him, read his biography, it's just amazing. It's basically a biography of a man who lived a life of prayer and had thousands of answers to prayer that will blow your mind. I have no question in my mind when I get to heaven and I ask George Mueller if he prayed for 40 days about anything that he'll say, just 40? Just 40? Listen to this. George Mueller, just to give you a little bit of his resume, he was in Bristol, England, starting orphanages for orphans. And by the way, Yesterday, I attended with Tony and Nathan Day and Marsha and, uh, and, and uh, myself. We attended a foster uh, care a program that's going to be starting soon in the state. Doug knows what I'm talking about. This is so phenomenal. There are 121 foster children in our state. Or 135, I think it is, foster children in our state. And only about 35 that have homes. And there's 200 churches in our county. 200 churches, 35 beds, and, and the church. Where's the church? I thank God for those that foster in our church. God bless you. I thank God for those that have adopted in our church. God bless you. This is a church that has been amazing with that. So I said, you know what? I'm getting in this thing. I go to this meeting. I am blown away. I have come to understand that true religion, pure religion, the only religion is that religion which loves those that, have, that, have, that, are, that are weak, the widows, the orphans, the, the fatherless in their affliction. And, and, and he gave his life to orphans. Here's a man who cared for 10,024 orphans in his lifetime. Started 117 Christian schools and prayed in the money to feed them every day. Here's one little story. Listen to this. Once while crossing the Atlantic Ocean in August of 1877, his ship that he was on ran into a thick fog. He explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec, Canada by the following afternoon, but Captain Joseph E. Dutton, later known as Holy Joe, said that he was slowing the ship down for safety and Mueller's appointment would have to be missed. Mueller asked to use the chart room to pray for the lifting of the fog. The captain followed him down, claiming it would be just a waste of time. After Mueller prayed a simple prayer, the captain started to pray, but Mueller stopped him partly because of the captain's unbelief, but mainly because he believed the prayer had already been answered. Mueller said, Captain, I've known my Lord for more than 50 years and there's not one instance that I have failed to have an audience with the king. Get us, Captain, up to the deck of the ship because I believe the fog's gone. 
When the two men went back to the bridge, they found the fog had lifted and Mueller was able to keep his appointment. The captain became a Christian shortly thereafter. That's just one story of so many that illustrate the power of persistence in prayer. And I'm convinced this morning that you and I, if we will learn to persist in prayer, our hearts will be encouraged, our attitudes will change. Number two, persistence in prayer reflects an understanding of the character of God. You see, what happens oftentimes as to why we don't pray is we truly don't understand who God is. Well, we're just, we're just doing this practice and there's, there's no emotion attached to it. There's no commitment to it. It's like brushing our teeth. It's like, you know, it's like grabbing a quick, uh, you know, we're late for breakfast. So let's just grab a, a quick oatmeal bar and eat it on the way out and jam it down. That's kind of our prayer lives. And, and who would do that if they knew they had an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? No one would do that. It's not that we are intentionally being disrespectful. It's that we just don't understand God's character. And so let's look here at a few things and and build on this. Look at verse 2 of chapter 18. Here's what Jesus said. There was a city in a city, a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversaries. Now, quickly, listen, Jesus is using hyperbole here as he teaches. Anybody ever used hyperbole? My son exaggerates all the time. Why does he exaggerate? Well, sometimes just because that's who he is. Other times, he exaggerates to make a point. It's like he tells something, and Jesus does this in this story. He gives you this, like, extreme situation that would probably never happen like this. It's just crazy. It's a wild story. It's very exaggerated. It's hyperbole. It's a story. It's an exaggerated truth to illustrate something he's teaching. And he uses this hyperbole by exaggerating statements such as this. Number one, he... I want you to notice we have the greatest possible need in this story. It's a widow. She's a widow. I mean, can anybody else think of anyone else more needy than someone who has lost her spouse? Someone who, who, who that one whom, who took care of them, that one who was always there for them. And now that no wonder, Jesus says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow. No wonder he put widow in there because God loves this person who, who represents a need. You do something for a widow, you got God's blessings every time. Every time. You ought to adopt a widow in our church. I would if I were you. I mean, that's the best religion there is. Get, you say, I don't know any. We'll call the church. We'll, we got tons. We'll give you one. And just, just all, pray for them. Maybe send them a text every now and then. Go to the house under, and just say, hey, you need a light bulb changed? You said, I don't want to bother them. Hey, you'll be getting God's blessing. Every time you extend a help to a widow, God says, I like that. So God takes and throws the widow in this story to represent the greatest possible need. Secondly, we have the greatest possible hardship. Think about it. The widow has experienced injustice. She says, avenge me of mine adversary, my enemy. She has been treated wrongly. Somebody's ripped her off. She called because her toilet wasn't working and the plumber came by and saw a good opportunity to charge her $200 for really what was a $10 part. How sad. How sad. Somebody's abused her. Somebody's pushed her in a parking lot. Somebody has, has mistreated her. 
I mean, this is the, the worst possible hardship. This is something that she is enduring and she has an enemy. She has an adversary. It's the worst thing that could happen to, to somebody who has the greatest need. I mean, if, if you're so bad that you would mistreat a widow, you're in bad shape. I mean, God's painting a picture here for us. And then the greatest ability to meet the need. A judge. I mean, judges are, judges are powerful people in positions of authority. Would you not agree? We have a judge in our church, Judge Ohm. And thank God he's not like this judge. Can I get an amen right there? He's on vacation this week, so I'm glad he's not here to hear me brag on him. He might get the big head, right? I'm joking. He's a humble man. But this judge was an unjust judge. Look at verse number two. It describes him as this. He feared not God, neither regarded man. He didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. He didn't even respect this widow. He didn't care that she was a widow. Whatever. Reminds me of a verse in Proverbs on the screen that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You don't fear God, you're an idiot. Sorry, you're dumb. You're a moron. You have no wisdom. You can't even begin to take step one of wisdom until you do this. Fear God. This man, he didn't fear God. He did not respect man. What an extreme picture. Notice Jesus goes on to say, I love this as he tells the story. I can see a little grin on Jesus' face when he tells this. Look at verse 4. It says, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, the judge said about himself, though I fear not God, nor respect man. I mean, that's like throwing yourself under the bus. I mean, who does that, right? But in this story, Jesus goes as far as to say, Hey, this judge was so messed up, he even was willing to admit he didn't fear God and he he didn't respect man. Jesus gives the worst possible scenario so that whatever your problem is today that's caused you to think, well, there's no reason to pray. I mean, there's just no reason. My situation is just too hard. Wait a minute. She's alone. She has nothing. She's been mistreated. She's been abused. She's experienced the worst possible scenario. No avenue of appeal. The judge is pathetic. And yet, we learn something about this woman. She will not stop asking. She will not stop. Verse 5 says this. It explains it. It says, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She will not stop coming. Verse 3 says, she kept on asking. She kept on coming. 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 She kept on asking. I could literally say this for the rest of the sermon and just say, she kept on coming. You're dismissed. She kept on coming. She kept on asking. She kept on coming. And just stand up here all day and just say, you say, well, preacher, what would you be illustrating? I would be illustrating the fact that this woman didn't stop. She kept coming. She kept asking. She kept coming. She kept asking. Number three, keep praying to keep from losing heart. That's why we keep praying, to keep from losing heart. Remember what we quoted a moment ago. Persistence in prayer will keep you from losing heart, and losing heart will keep you from persistent prayer. So I want to read you another story about Mr. Mueller, my second story today about this amazing man. Listen to this. 
How many of you have ever had a lost loved one or somebody you'd like to see saved? Amen? Well, let me read you a story about Mueller here. In 1844, he said, and I quote, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. 18 months of praying every single day before the first one was saved. I thanked God and started praying for the others. Five years elapsed and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and started praying for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. But these two, they remained unconverted. 36 years later, he wrote that the other two, the sons of one of Mueller's friends, still were not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted, but after he died. Mueller understood what Luke meant when he introduced a parable Jesus told about prayer, saying, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and never give. All five, listen, Mueller saw them saved after he died and stopped praying on this earth. Do you see God is teaching us here how prayer is so powerful and how powerful our prayers are? Your prayers will continue to be effective and acted upon by the God of this universe even after you take your last breath. Woo! What a God! What a God! Let me give you some closing thoughts. In verse 5 and verse 6, you've got to listen to this. So amazing. In verse 4, of course, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Listen to this man. Listen to what he said. I'm going to give her justice because she keeps on coming. She will not stop coming. She keeps praying. She keeps asking. So I am going to avenge her. I'm going to give her justice. And the Lord said, verse 6, pay attention, church. The Lord says this. Did you hear what this unjust man just said? Anybody hear this? You paying attention? Are you listening to what he's saying? Verse 6. And the Lord said, hear, hear what the unjust just saith. And shall not God avenge his own, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Let's take just a moment. And and, and let me give you, even though you you think the sermon has got a long way to go, I'm almost done. This will take about 15 minutes and we're done. Pay attention. I want you to see the character traits of God here in the story. God is just. Do you believe that? Number one, God is just. That is one of his character traits, and he does bring justice to his children. God, secondly, is good. Anybody ever, anybody ever said God is good all the time, all the time, God is good? Anybody ever said that? Yeah. 
but do we believe it? We say it, and it feels good to say it, doesn't it? But do we really believe that he acts for the benefit of his children when they pray persistently? You see, some of us just think that all we got to do is just say God is good. That's not enough. That's just a cliche. That's just a statement that people make. And sometimes they make it to make themselves feel good. But the truth of the matter is, is God is good. And when we pray like he pray, she prayed, he will begin to act for our benefit. Number three, God is attentive. He hears the persistent prayer of his children. Do we really believe that? God is holy. And he is making us holy. Oftentimes, the reason why God is not answering our prayer at the time we think he should is because he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I got a long way to go. So sometimes God is working on the prayer. I need to pray more. So God says, look, we're not, we're not going to answer this yet because I've got something I'm doing in you. God's making us holy. Let me close with some insights from this text for breakthrough in prayer. Number one, look at verse seven. It says this. Here's number one. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night. Number one, cry to him. Cry to him. Cry to him. Tears are not lost to God. God sees those tears. We need to become emotionally connected to that which we are asking. Cry. Listen to me. A moment ago, Jordan announced the worship segment as a segment of prayer. He said, listen, we're going to just offer these prayers to God. So you think about these songs. I'm singing these songs. I am emotionally connected. Open up the heavens. We want to see you open up the heavens. And come like a mighty river. Show us your glory, God. Show us. Show us your glory. Show us. Show us your power. Show us. Show us your glory, Lord. I can feel it, man. You better be glad I didn't have one of these mics on while I was singing. I mean, I was singing. Church, I was belting it out. How do you sing that song? Show us. Your glory. Show us, show us your power. Really? I don't know why people don't understand that a worship service is a time for us to not get connected to one another, not a time to entertain one another. You see, if you're thinking that when somebody up on this stage raises their hand, they're doing it so you can see them, you're absolutely wrong. They're getting emotionally connected to the song. And when you become emotionally connected to a prayer, you begin to actually mean what you're saying. So oftentimes, we, 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 we close our eyes or we lift our eyes to the heavens. We're not looking at a songbook necessarily and trying to follow some sort of a shape note. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that. But I'm just saying, I, I personally am grateful for technology that we can look up and see words and follow words and then learn the words so we can sing them to Jesus. For whom worship is, is, is directed to. This is not entertainment. This is praise. And oftentimes praise is prayer. Emotion matters. Tears and volume. Tears and volume. God wants to hear his children. He wants us to cry out to him. 
heartfelt, passionate, fervent prayer, faithful prayer, or fervent feeling prayers. Prayer without emotion becomes wearisome and we lose heart. You ever done that? Prayer without emotion. Follow the Lord blessed day. Just have, have a good day, bless the food. Follow the Son, Holy Ghost, when the fast gets the most. Amen! Now forgive me, but that's no prayer. Forgive me. I'm not upset. You say, why aren't you upset? Because I've prayed that way before, like dozens of times. Amen. Why not be honest? I've done it. I've done the short, quick, little, fitty-ditty prayers. I'm, like, like I'm not praying to the God of the universe. I mean, I talk with more fervency to Ethan than that. <laughs> I mean, when I saw Ethan today, I said, hey, Ethan gave him a hug. I mean, God deserves more than Ethan, don't you think? I mean, if you knew Ethan, you'd know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've done that so many times. I've prayed. That's why now when we pray, we get in our... I've had to work at this. You say, well, what have you done? We always get in now before meals, and we hold hands as a family. We get in a circle, and we stop. And you can ask my family. Miss Yoshida, get in here. Carol Ann, stop doing the... Get in here. They're like, well, we got... No, no, no. Get in here. Okay. And they wash their hands. I mean, they're not being rebellious or anything. Well, Michelle is. But, uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> are you in here, Michelle? Where are you at? Okay, I'm joking. But you, you do, you do, you know, she's getting everything ready. And I, no, stop. And we come in the living room and we hold hands and we approach the God of heaven. See, prayer is the most powerful tool known to mankind and we treat it like it's nothing. And this illustration is saying, hey, this is like huge. When you pray, cry out to me. I want to hear you. I want to know you're connected. Now, 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 crying is not always volume. Crying doesn't always need tears. You know, I found this about some people. Some people cry a lot, a.k.a. Dave Wilkie. Anyway, and uh, I know Dave's here. Is Dave here? Oh, he's great. He's in the nursery working. He's one of the best Christians I've ever met. I love old Greg. You can just say, hi, Dave. <laughs> now, some, some, they, they, tears just don't come. Does that mean one's insensitive? No, 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 wait, we're all different, right? That's good. God tells us that. So, so it's not just that you are crying with tears. But if you're not moved by your prayers, don't expect God to be moved to move on your behalf. If you're not moved by your prayers, then don't expect God to be moved to move on your behalf. So see, that interpretation needs to fit who you are, but that still covers all of us, regardless of whether you cry a lot or don't cry. So just think about that. I think the widow lady on her 10th appointment, no, nah, let's make it her 20th. No, nah, let's make it her 50th. Her 50th. I think every single appointment was getting more intense. Judge, I'm serious. Judge, please. Okay, you're driving me crazy. I think every single time she went to him, it got a little higher, more intense. I think the emotion was going up and not down. Number two, God is not reluctant to answer in response to your persistent prayers. He's not reluctant to answer. He's not like, I ain't answering. 
You say, well, how do you know that? Well, verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect? Shall not God avenge his own children? All right, let me answer the question with Romans 8, 32. Here it is. He that spared not his own son. He didn't spare his own son. He delivered us all. How shall he, the one who gave his son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When you have given your best, it's not hard to give the rest. God's already given his best. Why would not God avenge his own elect, the ones he did that for? If you've got somebody that's done that for you, he'll just about do anything for you. This is amazing. This is life-changing prayer. Number three, will God delay? Will God delay? Well, here's my answer. Sometimes. I mean, it's not like a really good answer, but it's decent. Sometimes. Okay, Scripture says here in verse number seven. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto them, though he bear long with them? So obviously, first thing it says is he might wait. But, but then it says in verse number seven, uh, verse number eight, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So wait a minute. I'm, okay, sometimes he'll make us wait, and sometimes he'll answer right away. Answer? Yes. Sometimes. It, it just depends. I, I don't know. All, all I can tell you is this. Let God decide how long long is. Let God decide. Oftentimes, you know, sometimes this week Cliff went down pretty quick. And it was a few days, I mean, where he just, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty quick. But it wasn't like a heart attack. It was a few days. And I've often wondered, and I know sometimes it's months and even years. But you know what I wonder sometimes? If, if God is working more on us than he is them. Karina knows what I'm talking about. I wonder sometimes if God just says, you know, I could take them now, but and sometimes we're praying, God, take them. It's okay, God. And, and, they, and they don't, they, they hang in there a few days or months or weeks and we kind of wonder why and God's saying, I'm working on you. I got some stuff I'm doing in you. It's going to be okay. I'm going to take them. They're going to be with me forever, but for now... I've got him here because I think you need him a little longer. I'm not saying that's the truth all the time. Because I think if heaven had a suggestion box for prayer, personally, I think that the number one suggestion in the box would be faster. Here you go, God, if you want my, uh, do whatever you want, do whatever you want. But God, if, if you're asking me, faster. Right? Are you with me? I mean, that's me. I, Everybody here has got their hand down because you're like super spiritual. <laughs> Me, I'm a derelict. I'm just like the worst Christian in the room because I want it now. I mean, 11 years of pee-pee in the bed? Come on. I mean, God, you know, what's going on here? 
I want it now. But God says, no, I'm teaching you. I'm making you. I'm teaching you patience. I'm teaching you how to care for those that are neglected. I'm teaching you how to visit nursing homes. I'm teaching you how to visit hospitals. You say, oh, okay. I didn't think about all that. Yeah, God's doing all this stuff. See, it's amazing. But remember, God is growing the prayer. Remember that? P-R-A-Y dash E-R. That's what this is all about. God is growing the prayer. Delay and answered prayer develops the prayer. Truth of the matter is we want the prayer to change the situation. We don't want the situation to change the prayer. And God wants the situation to change you. It's amazing, isn't it? God is so good. So in prayer, two things are converging. Here's what's converging. The way I see things are converging with the way that God sees things. Because I don't see things the way God sees things. Isn't that true? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are what? Higher than your ways. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, you know how I see my past? Shame. I blew it. I'm an idiot. I don't really deserve any of this. I'm such a jerk. I can't believe I did that again. I'm just so stupid. God says, forgiven, forgiven, go and sin no more. You know how I see my presence sometimes, like today? I wake up today, I'm like, oh, today. God, I got 9 o'clock, I got 1045, we got a graveside at 1, we got a visitation, we got a service, Lord, I just got to get my game face on. I, I got to make sure I get, get all this done and everybody's happy and I say all the right things and, and nobody gets mad at me and, and I get comfort for the family. And God says, oh, oh, my grace is sufficient. Oh, yeah, I try. Converging. You know, I see my future sometimes. Oh, man, I don't know if I'll ever get out of debt. I don't, know if, I don't know if I'll ever be what God wants me to be. I don't know if I'll ever get where I want to get. I don't know if I'll ever be fair. I just, it just, I don't know what's happening. What about North Korea? What about this? And, and God says, hey, I'm in control. I've known the end from the beginning. You're in my hands. I feel better. See, that's what prayer is. Prayer is bringing my view to the table letting God's view come to the table, and then I'm like, I feel so much better. (laughs) Why don't I pray more? Prayer fixes everything. See, that's the key. This is revolutionary, and it's just Scripture. And number four, and we're done. I think Jesus is teaching here, is anyone truly praying persistently? You see, for a long time, when I looked at at verse number eight, I got to be honest, for a long time, I thought this was talking about when God comes back, will anybody be saved? Well, that sure was dumb. <laughs> That's before I began to contextualize in my reading. Before I would just take one little line, and a lot of preachers do this. We don't mean to do it, but we do it. We take one line out, and we're like, you know, and we preach it like totally out of context. It's crazy. We don't look at any verses before, any verses after. We do that in the Old Testament. It's like insane. And we believe really crazy things, like really crazy things. So it says here, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? But what's he talking about? The the parable is about persistent prayer. It's about faithfulness in prayer. So what God is saying is, when I come back, will anybody be praying like this? 
is there going to be anybody on earth when I come back that prays like this? Anybody? Well, obviously, for us, the answer before this series was, I think humility will trump here. And I'm not, I don't know everybody here, but I'm saying the majority of us, it would have been, no, I'm not praying like this. I wasn't. I mean, not like this, not like Luke 18. I mean, no, I'm not praying like that. So God says, does anybody really have faith-filled prayers consistently crying out all the time? Anybody? Is there one Christian on planet Earth? I mean, think about it. I gave two illustrations from the same dude that died over 100 years ago. I like George Mueller. Oh, you read that biography. That's wonderful. Praise God, Eric. Use illustrations from guys that live 125 years ago. Or I can try this and use illustrations like my daughter not pee-peeing in the bed. I got my own Mueller story. You see, what we do is we take these biographies and we read them and we read them and we read them and we live in the past. The good old days. Some call it old-time religion. Some, some mention the old people as if God can't use anybody new. God can't do what he did for Mueller for me. So I just keep telling Mueller stories. Well, the Mueller stories are good. But all they do is make me want a Mueller story. I serve the same God. He's fresh, he's new, he's alive. And he's speaking to me today. He's changing my life. Is there anybody praying like this? You know, I think sometimes we think this, well, if I had more faith, I'd pray more, Brother Eric. It's not how it works. It works like this. Look at the bottom of your notes. It's not I will pray when I have faith. It's I won't have faith. Until I pray persistently. You see, everybody has the faith. You've just got to pray. And as you pray, God builds your faith. It's amazing. Your belief, your unbelief turns to belief. Because God begins to show you his power. Show us. Show us your glory. Show us your power, God. Do something that only you can do, God. Raise us up, God. Change us, God. That's what he wants to do for all of us. Remember the title of the series, Life-Changing Prayer. And I should have put it like this. You know, you know what the title should be? Life-Changing Prayer, beginning with the pastor. Just so everybody else knows, I'm in this thing with you. We're getting there together. It's going to be great. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I just pray that God would use this invitation song. We're going to sing our theme song. Our theme song has basically been one that's reminded us. It's a prayer. Lead me to the end of myself. Lead me to the edge of something greater. Because, see, that's my problem. My problem is me. Honestly, it's not you. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. I am selfish. I am not praying because I've got other things that I've made more important. I'm not trusting because, well, I am trusting. I'm just not trusting God. I'm trusting other things at times. And so this morning, we've been challenged by a widow. The worst possible need. The worst possible scenario. And 
God says, you know what? If I'll do it, if an unjust judge will do it for her, don't you think I would do it for my own children? God loves us. God wants to meet your need. God wants to touch your child. God wants to heal your marriage. God wants to save your boy. God wants to save your girl. God wants to redeem your family. God wants to help you get out of debt. God wants to help you overcome that addiction. God has got the victory already. Let's trust him. If you need to be saved today, oh, that's where it all starts. That's where it started for Cliff. September 13th, 1974. Or October, I think it was. Cliff Kaufman got saved. And he's never been the same. And today Cliff walks on streets of gold because of that day. And you can too. So just come on down if you need to be saved, if you need to trust Christ. Or just do it right there in your seat. Just ask him to forgive you of your sin and save your soul. Father, thank you so much. God, I love you. I pray that you bless our invitation and bless, Lord, the rest of our day. Speak to the hearts of your people. We turn it over to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together? If you need to come, you come. Our invitation is open. Thank you.
Lord, we thank you as we as a church come to the end of ourselves. Three weeks into this series, God, we're beginning to sense that your spirit is moving. And yet, God, we feel as if we still lack faith and we're still struggling to get to that place where we're trusting you totally. But, Lord, we're believing you are going to continue to increase our faith and show us great and mighty things which we know not, which we've never seen. Father, we know that as we look around us, things can grow dark and things can grow dim and hurricanes can scare us and and, and nuclear bombs can intimidate us and world leaders can scare us. At times, Lord, we get in our flesh such anxiety. And so today, God, we give it to you. We trust in you and we claim that you're stronger and mightier and higher and bigger than any fear we have, God. We trust you, Lord, and we ask you to do mighty things in our lives, answer prayer, meet needs, provide finances, save souls. And God, we pray that in power you would come and hear the cry of our lonely hearts. Please, God, do it for us. Bless the rest of our day. Oh, bless our lunch, our fellowship, the graveside, the service tonight. Oh, Father, may it be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. You're dismissed.